0: Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Awesome, awesome. Guys, I'm so grateful to be here today. Thank you for joining us on our birthday. You guys heard we were giving away donuts and you just came out by the droves. I'm sorry, we have cyber donuts for all of you that are watching online today. Just receive, you can click that little, that little button that there's like an app or something that you eat a whole bunch of donuts and you get fatter and fatter. Have you seen that thing? Maybe you can do that and celebrate birthday with us. But uh, it's just a miracle, guys. And I wanna echo something that Pastor Brandon said um, that we honor every single person that has been a part of launching this church. We've had people that have never even come But they have faithfully supported and prayed and given and all of that. We've got people that have served, people that have been with us, people that have moved away, people that gave their life to help us for a season, a year or two or whatever, and then the Lord called them to another assignment. And and I just want to thank every single one of those people. And I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for their their sacrifice. And I'm grateful for each and every one of you that are with us, that are called, that call Oaks Church your home. Um, I don't take it lightly. I'm a commitment guy. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I've never been a Church hopper. Uh, I'm a planter, and I've always planted myself inside of a place and stayed there for as long as I possibly could. And I'm grateful that God has given me the honor to be a part of this mission, this uh, portion of my life, to do this work. This is my life's work, and I'm grateful to do this with such incredible people like y'all. Thank you so much for being a part, and happy birthday to you. This wouldn't be possible without you. And so, thank you so much. Will you guys just give the Lord one more hand? He's awesome. He's so good. He's so good. Well, Pastor Brandon mentioned we're starting a brand new series next week. What's that called again, Pastor Brandon? I forgot too. It's gonna be awesome though. It's a marriage series. Love that lasts. Secret to a successful marriage. So, uh, you know, in, in, in every single person, whether you're married or not, marriage affects you. You have people in your life, you have friends, you have children, you have all of that. And, and just because you may not be married doesn't mean that it won't be information that will be massively beneficial to you because you may be receiving something that you can share with someone else and send to someone else or whatever. So I want to encourage you to stick into that. And all of the all of the principles that, that help make a great marriage work also help make great partnerships work, make great friendships work, so it'll be applicable to everyone uh, no matter what your age or no matter what your personal station. Today we're going to finish the series, As for Me and My House, this has been a foundational series for our church. The message that I'm going to share today, I'm going to share a revelation that the Lord has been growing and teaching me in for the last uh, three or four years, and I have a new understanding of it. And so I'm going to share something that I've never shared before, uh, a portion of the revelation of Oaks Church and where we come from. As a, as a church and who we're called to be and what we're called to do, today we're gonna to talk about our assignment, the assignment that God has specifically for us, the assignment that he has for you personally, for your family, for us as a corporate body of people that are aligned together. And, and with each assignment, there comes instructions. There comes instructions. And I don't know about you, but I have a love-hate relationship with instructions. You ever bought anything from Ikea? (laughs) Target. My wife had this amazing idea that that what made Christmas really, 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 really special is that you were supposed to put all of the Santa gifts together the night before Christmas. Like, so while the children are sleeping, you transform into elves, and you are now putting all, that's not how I grew up. How I grew up, there was a box, and my parents are like, Put that together, that's how you spend Christmas. That's what we did. So now we're doing instructions and I remember for so many years of my life, I hated Christmas Eve because I knew that that I was gonna be up till four in the morning with all of these things that my wife had forgot to mention that I had to put together and instructions. Look, I I don't mind hard work, but I don't like the little nickety-nackety things and with little funny little angle stuff and all that just drives me nuts. I just wanna throw things. Have you ever thought you didn't need instructions? And then you finished the project and you had all these leftover parts that the manufacturer just didn't understand you didn't really need, right? Because everything's working just fine. You didn't need those extra parts. We have a lot of people that love instructions. How many of you just love you open up those instructions and you get giddy about it? You just love that. Does anybody love that stuff? No, some of you, a couple of you? I was uh, thinking about this concept of understanding an assignment and following instructions. And I had a painful memory from my childhood. I was in third grade. It was at Linwood Elementary in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And I was in class and the teacher walked around the class that day handing out a piece of paper. And as she handed out this little assignment, this pop quiz or test or whatever that was going to be a timed test. It's another thing I hate is timed tests, right? I get nervous just saying the word timed test, you know? uh, It's not something that I enjoyed doing as a kid, but she was handing these things out slowly, kind of methodically, and she was talking the whole time about the importance of reading the instructions, and she kept going over and over, now make sure you read every single one of these instructions. And as she's saying that, I'm looking at this paper, and the instructions were like this. It was like 12 lines of instructions. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, it's a time. You're, you're setting the clock, and you're saying go, and the first thing you want me to do is read all of these instructions before I even start. And I got through about two lines of instructions, and I thought, yeah, I'm pretty sure I got this. I'm just going to wing it, and I start on the work, and I'm, and I'm working through, and I'm like maybe three or four minutes in, and, and, and Heather sitting next to me sets her pencil down. I hear her pencil set down. I hear her paper flip over, and I look, and she puts her hands on the center of the desk just like this, and I'm like, what the heck? What are you, oh my God, Heather's. Slow down, don't make everybody look bad. And I back down and I'm starting to try to force my way through this. And, and I hear another pencil hit the desk. And I look over and there's Jimmy, and he's putting his page face down and putting his hands in the center of his desk. I'm like, not Jimmy. Jimmy's not beaten. What is this? And I'm like, not even a third of the way through this thing. I, man, now I'm scrambling. And, I, and, and then Dirty Robbie. You remember, you, remember, you remember the Snoop, Snoopy, the, 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 the pig pen? I had Dirty Robbie in my third grade class. This guy, man, you ain't seen Dirty until you know Dirty Oklahoma Dirty. This kid would pop ticks on his desk. I mean, he was dirty. <laughs> pig pen ain't got nothing on Dirty Robbie. The whole underside of his desk just buggers. I mean, this guy was dirty. <laughs> dirty Robbie, pen, pencil down, flips his paper, closes his hands. I'm like what the heck and time runs out and I'm not done and come to find out the very last line of the instruction said don't do any of the things before this set your pencil down put your paper upside down and fold your hands and wait till the time runs out that was the only instruction that mattered I got an F (laughs) see God has given us an assignment. He's given us an assignment. And the assignment for us as a church, and the assignment for for us as a body, and, and as all believers, is found inside of his word. The Bible, your Bible, is the most important information that you consume any Time, any, day, all day, every day, your Bible, God's word. There are lots of opinions out there. God's word is the truth. And it's so important that you consume it and understand it and read it and make it a part of your daily life. Because if you aren't paying attention to the instructions, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Things will be at risk. You could potentially miss the whole thing. One of the questions that I have learned to ask anytime I'm faced with a situation or a decision or a challenge is this but what does the Bible say about this? What does God say about this? Forget Tucker Carlson or Bill O'Reilly or Anderson, forget any opinion person out there. I don't want to know about an opinion person. Sure, some of them are good folks. I want to know what the truth says about my assignment on this planet. What does the truth say about my marriage? What does the truth say about my parenting? What does the truth say about my business relationships? Well, the name of our church comes from Isaiah 61. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Oaks. Oaks of righteousness. I'm going to read this passage to you. And I'm going to show you some things today to help you understand what our assignment is, what our instructions are, and what we as the people of God are supposed to look like on this planet and in our lives. I'm going to jump into Isaiah 61 verse 3. I'll pick up right at the end of that verse. It says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord For the display of his splendor. I'm going to say that again. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Watch the things that are described here. They will rebuild. This is talking about you. This is talking about us. This is talking about the people of God called oaks. righteousness. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated generations for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, and foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations in the riches and in their riches you will boast instead of your shame you will receive a double portion instead of disgrace you will rejoice in your inheritance and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours is this good news so far this is some good news so far For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are people that the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head with, like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is a beautiful passage. I love this passage of Scripture so much. I read this passage possibly more than I read any other passage in the entire Bible. Because I've come to understand... That this passage is the passage that Jesus stood up when he declared who he was as a minister and who he was as Messiah. This is the verse that he read to describe his ministry and how you would know that he was the Messiah. And then I began to realize that not only did it describe his ministry and his mission, but Christ is called to be our identity on this planet. Paul said, For I have died and Christ now lives in me. Christ is your identity. Not your skin color. Not your gender. Not your hobbies, not your vocation. those, Those things are just descriptives. Those things are all temporary. None of those things matter in heaven. You understand that? Christ is your identity. That's what matters. Our nation is divided more than ever over temporary things that don't matter in heaven. We're supposed to be focused on heaven and releasing heaven into the earth and leading people toward heaven and we're distracted by fake IDs like skin color and gender and sexual preference and married or not married and employed or not employed or Master, unmaster, vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's all temporary. It's not eternal. And we're divided over things. Then, in the light of eternity, simply don't matter. Love is what matters. The truth is what matters. It's important, guys, that we have eternal focus and we don't let temporary things rob us of our joy, rob us of our peace, rob us of our ability to love the people God has called us to love because we have differences that are surface and temporary when we're called to be unified over something eternal. When God says he plants oaks of righteousness, he calls his people oaks of righteousness, he gives the reason for it. He says, so that they will be a display of his splendor. You are a display. We are a display of God's splendor. That's a big deal. When I was seeking the Lord about this and I was writing in my prayer journal about what the Lord really wanted to say to you, He said this, I want my people to reflect my glory. I want my people to reflect my glory. You are a display of his splendor. I love being a dad. And I love being a girl dad. Girl dads get way more hugs, way more snuggles. The, 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 there's, there's a phase that, as the girls grow up, when they kind of they l- l- stiff-arm mom, and they come over to dad, and then I get to be like, <laughs> my season now, right? And that's great until they start driving, and then the wife's like, your season now, buddy. It's always good. But I look at my girls, and I'm telling you, I look at my girls, and, and I just beam with pride Because I'm so grateful, I'm so proud of my girls. They're a display of my splendor. And and the more I invest in the relationship I have with my girls, the more they display my splendor and the more my girls seek to, to know the things that I have in my heart for them because I only have good things in my heart for them because I'm a good father and how much more does your heavenly father, according to Jesus, want to give you all good things? I think we have a misconception. Somehow we don't realize that God is a better parent than we are. And we want to do all these things and bless our kids, but somehow we can slip into an idea that God is the almighty smiter and punisher and judge. And, And He is the judge, but He's a loving Father, first and foremost. So as God said this to me, I want my people to reflect my glory. I instantly thought of the relationship that the moon has with our earth and also with the sun. See, the moon is the brightest light in the, in the sky at night. When, when, when there's a full moon out, you can, live, you can walk around outside without any street lights or whatever, And you can see, living in the country, that we don't have streetlights. And so when the full moon is out, it's amazing what you can see with the full moon. But the moon doesn't actually have any light. It's It's the brightest light in the sky at night, but it has no light of its own. The moon simply reflects the sun, Any light that comes by the moon is simply a reflection of the glory of the sun. Similarly, we don't have a light in and of ourselves. We don't have glory in and of ourselves. When someone called Jesus good teacher, he turned to them and said, there's no one good except God the Father. All of the glory that Jesus manifest was a reflection of his father. You want to know the father? You want to know what the father thinks? Study Jesus. You want to know what the father thinks about marriage? Look at what Jesus said about marriage. You want to know what the father says about business? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, he didn't say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen me. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. He didn't come here to the earth to reflect himself. He came here to the earth to reflect his father. And we know the father by knowing Jesus. You want to really know the father? Get a red letter Bible and spend a whole year reading red letters. You know what the red letters are? The words of Jesus. Only the red, I, I did that one year. I spent the whole year reading only the red letters. Unbelievable revelation comes when you look at the actual declarations of Jesus Christ who is the word of God. See, so even though the moon doesn't have any light of its own, the moon actually has an ability to affect the earth. It reflects The glory of the sun, it shines light on the earth. But more than that, it affects our tides. It affects our weather. It affects our atmosphere. It affects the pressure that we experience. The moon has no light. It only reflects the glory of God. But it has the ability to change the tides of the earth. Oh, there's something really big in there. If you can learn to reflect God's glory with your life, you have the power to shift and change the tides of culture. You have the power to shift and change the tide of different places in your world. You have the power to change atmospheres and change weather systems inside of the lives of people around you because you can reflect God's glory. And there's a gravity that you have It pulls. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When Jesus is lifted up in your life, when he's glorified in your life, God is glorified. We showed you an image of the moon, I believe you saw. I didn't turn around, but I'm assuming it popped up there. But I want to show you another image. I've got a couple other images I want to show you. I want to show you this this image of an oak tree. Because when God calls you oaks, I want want you to see, there's there's a concept, there's an idea that pops into our mind of what an oak tree looks like and what an oak tree represents. Oak trees can live literally, I mean, 100 years, 150 years. They get massive. They're huge. They represent something. When God says you're an oak, he's saying you are strong, You're majestic, you're faithful, you're powerful, you're prosperous. You endure, you weather the storms, you overcome, you're prolific, you make shade. Things can be built out of your life. When he calls you an oak, he's calling you something powerful. See, the word oak in this passage, or the word in Hebrew that's used for oak is actually the word I yield, I yield. It has three letters. The Aleph, which is the A in the in the Hebrew alphabet, it represents the Father, it represents the beginning. It has what's called a Yod. A Yod is, is what they describe in the alphabet. So the Ayil is the Aleph, the Yod, and Yod is like the molecule of the alphabet. It's what they call the God spark inside of the Hebrew alphabet, that every single letter, all speech, all thought, all creation starts with a Yod. The Yod literally looks like you put your pen down and started to do something, and just pulled off. And it's like, it looks like a little comma or an apostrophe. But it floats up in the, in the air. It's about creation. And then the last letter is the Lamed. And it, the hieroglyph for the Lamed is the shepherd's crook. It, 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 it's a crook. And it stands up taller than every other letter inside of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's only used for oak one time in scripture. And it's this passage, Isaiah 61 verse 3. 21 times it's used for the word Mighty. Mighty, powerful. God is calling you powerful. He's calling you mighty. He's calling you influential. He's saying that you have great structure and he wants to use you as an icon for strength in your world. Strong, majestic, faithful, powerful, prosperous. But this word, ayil, is actually used 156 other times in scripture. The same word that we get the translation for a mighty, powerful oak is used 156 times in the Bible for a completely different thing. It's the word for a ram, a male sheep. I'm going to show you an image of a, a ram, uh, one of the most majestic creatures. If you've ever seen these big horn sheep with these massive horns, have you ever seen them actually uh, in the middle of trying to show how masculine they are and they're fighting over a female and they kind of snort and they scratch the earth and they get close and they rear up on their heels and then they dive at each other with those big horns and they crash together with those horns and unbelievable the power. And this is just a side. note for example just common knowledge common wisdom um if you if you if you're gonna go get in the ocean don't wear a lot of sparkly stuff on it because like fish like lures and things right and sharks might be interested if you're ever around a ram don't turn your back you ever seen those videos shepherds out with the sheep doing a good little thing sweet little sheep Makes a simple mistake, turns his back on the ram. The ram is all about establishing and asserting dominance. And if you turn your back on a ram, you will understand the word ram. Because they will bust your backside. I've seen video after video, it's horrific to watch. Poor little shepherds turning their back on a ram, and a ram just like pow, I mean just smash. It's about dominance. It's about power. When God called us oaks, he used a word that describes an assertion of power and dominance. Why do we have this misconception that Christians are supposed to be these quiet little church mouse type people that don't take a stand for anything? When that's not how God describes us. Our great nation, America, wasn't forged by quiet people. It wasn't forged by, but now, now 29 of the signers of our Declaration of Independence were pastoral degree graduates from Bible college. You understand that? We do have a very strong Christian in, in, in Jewish culture that came from the beginning of our nation, it's important that you understand that. And they were willing to stand up for what was right. They were willing to take a stand with the knowledge that they had at the time in the culture, and we've grown since then. We've come so far since then, and we're moving a positive direction in Jesus' name. But we, the people of God, have to recognize that when God describes us, he describes us as something dominant, not something passive. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers, he didn't say blessed are the pacifists. It's a big difference between a peacemaker and a pacifist. Texas Rangers carried a peacemaker on their hip. It's called a Colt 45. I like that peacemaker. See, when you have a demonstration of power, oftentimes you don't have to actually resort to anything because people respect your power. And the people of God are supposed to be a force to be reckoned with. Not a bunch of mamby-pamby Wimpy little, I'm going to walk away from that before I say something weird. But this word ram, I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you something that you may have heard discussed or described before. In Scripture, in studying Scripture, there's a thing called the law of first mention. The law of first mention in Scripture. What that means is that the first place that a word is used in Scripture paints a picture for how it's supposed to be seen and translated moving forward. It doesn't mean it's the only definition or the only use, but it has a preeminence for painting the picture of how it also will be used in the future. So we have, I'm going to show you the first two places in Scripture where the word ram, ayil, is used and translated ram. The first one is in Genesis chapter 15. It's in the cutting of the covenant between Abraham and God the Father. Verse nine says, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, that's a female cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, so that's a male, that's a dominant position here, a turtle dove, which I'm not sure the difference between a turtle dove and a regular dove, but I know that in a Christmas song you have at least two of them. And then you have a young pigeon. So there's five specific things that were the instructions of God to bring a three-year-old female heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And they were to cut them in half. Abraham was to cut those animals in half and lay them out as a display. It was a blood sacrifice. It was an offering that God was going to show up and did show up and moved his presence between the midst of these things and formed a covenant with Abraham. Abraham. So the first use of the word ram is the picture of a sacrifice and the picture of something being laid down and given to God. A cow in scripture represents wealth. A goat represents selfish desires. We're called to be sheep, not goats. Goats have a mind of their own selfish desires. A ram re- represents our strength and our dominance. A turtle dove represents love and peace. A pigeon actually represents lack, the poorest of them all. So this picture where we find this word, I yield, used, it's about sacrifice. It's about laying something down. And it specifically is talking about laying down your wealth to God, sacrificing your your desires to God, sacrificing your personal strength and your dominance to him. It's a submissive relationship, giving him your love and your peace, laying those things at his feet. And even what you lack, I'll even give you my areas of lack. Because when we are weak, the scripture says... Then we are strong. The second time the word aiel is used in scripture. Again it's used for ram. Now Abraham again is on the top of a mountain. This time he has his promised son with him. That the Lord had told him to go and sacrifice Isaac on an altar as worship. The promised son, he'd been waiting 25 years for the son to be born. Now, we don't know how old Isaac was. Some uh, philosophers or, or scholars believe he could have been up to even 40 years old. And he goes with his father. His dad has him carry the fire and the knife while Abraham carries the wood. And Isaac is walking up with two items in his hand, one that will be used to kill him and the other to consume and burn him alive. And we're up there and he ties him up and he lays him on the altar and he raises the knife and right before he goes to kill his son, who's watching, by the way, submitting, by the way, the Lord stays his hand and says, stop, Abraham, look. And he turns and looks and there's a ram, that big, big horned sheep, with his head stuck in a thicket. And Abraham says, In verse 14 of Genesis 22, the Lord will provide. In the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided himself a sacrifice. Now, interesting, when they started the journey up the mountain, Isaac said, hey, I see the knife, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's where's the animal for sacrifice? And if you remember what Abraham said to his son, he said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. He wasn't gonna tell Isaac the plan. Isaac couldn't have handled the plan. Personally, I don't think Abraham told Sarah the plan. Cause she'd have killed him. The first two times we see this word ayil, what God describes you as his people, first two times in scripture, something that represents power, dominance, might, strength. We see the picture sacrifice. As people of Oaks Church, we're called to live a life of sacrifice. Called to live a life of sacrifice. We're called to live and be inside of a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And the beautiful picture is this. If we will sacrifice, he will provide. God doesn't have his kids sacrifice to move into a place of lack. There's no picture of lack inside of the, inside of the declaration of who God's people will be. There's only a, a picture of provision and blessing. God's desire is to bless you. His desire is to advance you. His desire is to move you forward. Why? Because you reflect his glory. And, and when he blesses you, it makes him look good. When he increases you, it makes him look good. That's why all through history, and don't get me wrong, he would let the people of Israel go through horrific times of of suffering and of persecution because of their pride and their arrogance and their refusal to worship him. He would allow them to follow after their own devices and put themselves in a place of destruction, but he would never leave them there because his intent and his desire was to promote and to elevate when we sacrifice, he provides The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. I want you to come back to the scripture with me as I finish. I'll read it one more time because I want you to recognize we're oaks of righteousness, powerful, mighty, strong, dominant, a planting of the Lord for his display of his splendor. We're called to glorify him, to reflect his glory. But look at what he says. In verse four, he says, they will rebuild Ancient ruins restore places long devastated, and they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Three specific things that you as mighty oaks of righteousness are called to do. We are called to rebuild, restore, and renew. Everywhere you go, rebuild, restore, And renew. Rebuild, restore, and renew. Relationships, rebuild, restore, and renew. Broken places in people's lives, rebuild, restore, and renew. Your number one mandate after or actually a description, and instruction of how you can reflect his glory, how you can look like him in the earth, is you are a person that rebuilds, restores, and renews. Everywhere you go, people know that is a peacemaker. Not a pacifist, but they are here to rebuild. They're here to edify. The word of God, it says, is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Rebuild, restore, renew. To build up, to restore, to bring things back to their former place. To renew, to make things new. That's what we're called to do. Look at, he continues. He says, Strangers will shepherd your flock and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. What does that mean? That means you're supposed to be owners. That means you're supposed to have territory. That means you're supposed to not just be employees, but you're supposed to be entrepreneurs and business people and movers and shakers and people that have influence. That's why we have an Oaks Business Network uh, that we're starting here, because we want to see your businesses thrive and prosper. Why? Because you're called to reflect his glory. You reflect his glory in how you do business. The Bible says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Your work is your worship. Do you know that? Well, Joel, I'm just a plumber. Plum for Jesus, baby. And look, don't put that fish on your card unless you're a good plumber. Don't, don't, I'm just saying. That's why I don't have a fish or any kind of anything on the back of my vehicle because when I drive, I don't drive like Jesus would drive. That's one of the number one things I'm working on, more like the devil, speed demon. Whatever you do, you glorify Him with it. You're a student, you're in middle school, high school, college. Graduate school, your education is part of your worship. Your study habits are how you glorify God, the way you treat your teachers, the way you treat people of authority, the way you interact with your boss at work or with your employees. You represent God. You reflect his glory. It's not just about you and your personality and who you think you might be and what you think you might need to stand for. You represent him. You reflect his glory. And how you carry yourself matters. Look at the next thing. And they will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. Guess what? That's all of you. You should be known at your work. You should be known in your circles. You should be known as someone that is a priest and a minister for God. doesn't matter what your vocation is. There is no separation. There will be influential people that people work for, And there'll be priests and ministers because you're called to be both. You have influence in the business world so that you can have influence for the kingdom. Doesn't mean you have to be uh, obnoxious about it. In fact, I would encourage you to find the appropriate light to shine in each specific situation because there are certain people that can't handle if you're too blinding. We're called to be salt and light, but you can put too much salt on a dish and ruin it. And we've got to recognize that the appropriate amount of salt and the appropriate amount of light is different for every relationship. And if you're full tilt all the time, if I had a dollar for every time in my life, my wife has said, babe, I'm right here. You don't have to talk so loud. I'm just intense. I can't help it. When I take personality tests, it's like 98, 90 I'm off the charts with my intensity. Just me. But I have to learn if I want to have a happy marriage, I have to temper my intensity because she can't handle all this. Oh. <laughs> um. I heard somebody describe me one time. They said, yeah, he's a lot. Watch this. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. That's your father talking to you. That's your father talking to you. That's what your father desires for you. Your father doesn't desire this idea that God wants you to be poor. What kind of parent are you? What kind of parent did you have that you think you would want your kid to be poor? I'm not trying to go name it and claim it and say everybody's called to be millionaire. I'm not saying any of that. But he says you'd feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you would boast. Instead of shame, you receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you get get to rejoice in an inheritance. You get a double portion in land, and everlasting joy will be yours. That's what your father says about you. He's a more than enough God. He wants you to reflect his glory. He wants you to be a leader of industry. He wants you to have a reputation as someone that, that reflects him and ministers for him. And is excellent in your business. You can meet needs because you're so blessed. It's about overflow, it's not about hoarding. Having access to wealth and riches is not about your hoarding, it's about you being a conduit. The Bible says teach the wealthy people what to do with their money, that's the pastor's job. Oh, people don't like it when the pastor talks about money, but it's what the Bible tells us to do because people get off track and they start thinking that money is about them. Money is about God. It belongs to him, it's all his. Yeah, save for retirement, yeah, education, yeah. All, that, all that's good, all that's good. But if God's not the God of your money, you've missed the whole picture. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We've heard that. But he wants you to have access to blessing. Why? For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. You have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways that your father loves to trump the devil who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy you is to bless you and flourish you and provide for you and make you shine above all other people inside of this world. He wants you to reflect his glory. You'll be known among the nations. In my faithfulness, I'll reward my people and make an everlasting covenant. Their descendants will be known among the nations. They'll be known as the people the Lord has blessed, it says. What's the number one focus See, it shifts all of a sudden. And instead of God declaring over, all of a sudden, the last verse, it shifts to what the church says, what these oaks begin to say. They say, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, not because he made me rich, not because I'm an industry leader, not because I have a reputation as a minister, not because he called me mighty and powerful as an oak, a, a mighty dominant ram, not because of any of that. I will rejoice greatly. My soul will rejoice. For he's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. That's what we boast in. All the rest of it is just gravy. It's just, it's just perks. Perks, benefits, package. It's not the point. The point is your salvation. The point is your salvation. Clothes you in robes of righteousness, garments of salvation. Can I tell you what my birthday wish is for Oaks Church? Oaks Church is... It's perfect. Oaks Church is a powerful church. We exude these things in so many ways. Powerful church. Accomplishing things that, that, that other churches 10 and 15 years older than us haven't accomplished yet. God's favors upon us. This is his declaration over us. Leaders of industry, known ministers, people work for you. Walking in his favor. You're the people that God has called blessed. Your, your descendants are, are, have a reputation. God, God has done these things in us. My birthday wish is that as Oaks Church people that our focus would would come to this last part that says we will rejoice and our souls will rejoice because he's clothed us in robes of righteousness. It's not about what we accomplish. It's really not about that. We're just reflecting his glory. And if we don't do great things and accomplish great things, we don't reflect his glory properly. So we need to do those things, but it's not about that. It's about the robes of righteousness and the garments of salvation. My, My wish, my birthday wish for Oaks Church is that this would become a church that's so obsessed with seeing people come to Jesus. It's all they could think about. It's so obsessed with reflecting the glory of God and leading people to Jesus. So obsessed, so caught up, so so just enraptured in the idea of who they could affect to draw them into the kingdom because it's not about our glory, it's about his glory. It's about about our kingdom, it's about his kingdom. I want to see Oaks Church be the place where hundreds of people are getting saved every single year. We can't we service after service after service after service not so that we can become bigger, so that we can receive more people into the family of God. This has to become about something bigger than us and going and getting a good word and hearing a great worship set. It's got to become something that it's all about who do we know in our lives that needs Jesus. How are we reflecting God's glory? And who are we influencing? Our elevation. God wants to elevate you. Our elevation glorifies the Father. if you be lifted up, you can draw more people unto him. I want you just to take a moment. In fact, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes for a second as I prepare to close. I want you just to think and be honest with yourself for a minute. Is there a, are there areas in your life that currently don't reflect his glory very well? Maybe an attitude, maybe a habit maybe a poor patterns of performance maybe it's your priorities there's is there an area that needs to shift because again the picture the picture that he Declares over us when he calls us oaks of righteousness. It's it's the picture of this powerful oak. It's also the picture of that powerful dominant ram. But it's also the picture of sacrifice. There's sacrifice. Is there a sacrifice in your life that you need to make for God? Is there a sacrifice in your life that you need to make? Is there something you need to lay at the altar? There's something that you need to give to him? Is there something you need to dedicate to him? Is there something else in your life that has been taking the place of your priority and, and has been stealing his worship? Has, has money been a God in your life that you've worshiped? Has a relationship been a God in your life? Has accomplishment been a God in your life that you've worshipped? Have your children been a God in your life that you've worshipped? Is there something that you've prioritized? Just like Abraham had to take that gift, that promise. Could be something good. Could be something amazing from him. But is there something that you've prioritized that was from God originally, but it has the potential to elevate itself and become an idol? Is there something that God's asking you to sacrifice? Just as you sit there and have a moment with the Father, Whatever that thing is the Lord's showing you, just to yourself under your own breath, just tell him that you're giving that to him. You're laying that down to him. You're sacrificing that for him. He he may show you that there's a relationship you're supposed to go try to heal. He may show you there's a relationship you have to sever. He may show you there's something that you need to release to him and just let him have it you've been trying to accomplish. He may may show you that there's something He wants you to give. Could be an object. Could be your tithe. However He shows you to respond, this is between you and Him. Obey Him. Obey Him. And one more thing. One more thing. This is the most important part. It's possible that you could be here today and here to celebrate a great service and getting ready to go have a great lunch somewhere or something. But if you're really honest with yourself, you don't know if you're right with God or not. You don't know that you would go to heaven if you died today. You don't know if he's really the Lord of your life. And if that's the case, I want to give you the opportunity. Don't leave this room today. Don't leave this place today. Don't turn off this podcast. Don't, don't turn off this video stream without praying this prayer, without making this decision because you're not promised tomorrow. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. Don't miss the opportunity for salvation. If you need Jesus, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, could be that you've done it before, but you've walked away, you've been off on your own path. If you need to get right with God today, this is your moment right here. Just where you sit, just say yes right now. Say yes to Jesus. And then join us as we pray. We're all gonna pray across this room. Join us as we pray. Say this, say, Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love. Today, I give my life to you. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins, and he rose from the dead for my victory, for my salvation. I declare that he is my Lord. I give my life to him. And I ask you to save me today. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Fill me with your goodness. Fill me with your power so that I can reflect your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, if you prayed that prayer, God did a miracle in your life. The Bible says that When you declare and profess your faith in Him, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, a miracle just happened and you are what the Bible calls, what Jesus calls, born again. And I want to give you the opportunity to acknowledge that decision. And This is very important. Very important to acknowledge the decision and here's why. When you acknowledge Jesus publicly, the Bible says that He acknowledges you in front of the Father in heaven. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your heart. But when you acknowledge Jesus publicly, Jesus said, I will acknowledge you in front of my Father. So if you prayed that prayer and made a real decision for God today, don't be embarrassed about it, be bold about it. And and I'm just gonna give you an opportunity we count to three in just a second and ask you to raise your hand. That's all I'm gonna do, just ask you to raise your hand. And I'm gonna ask you to be so bold that you don't care what anybody else thinks because this is about what Jesus thinks. And this is the warmest environment you're ever gonna find to celebrate that kind of a wonderful decision. So if you know you gave your life to Jesus today, you gave your life to him for the first time, or you came back to him today, when I count to three, be the boldest person in the room. Stick your hands straight up in the air. Ready? One. Come on, don't miss out. Ready? Two. Three. Go. I gave myself to God today. There you go. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over there. Anybody else? I gave myself to God today. Right there. God bless you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. That's amazing. That's amazing. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.